0: Good morning. The bad news is you've got the backup quarterback today. But the good news is that uh, the first string quarterback is having a great morning. This is a very, very special time for Jeff and his family. One of the gifts that churches sometimes give to pastors is an invitation to return. You know, a lot of times when pastors leave, it's kind of a whew, we're glad that chapter's done. But it's really wonderful when a church invites that family back. And that's what's happened for Jeff and Denise and I think Robbie, I think Robbie's there as well today. This is an opportunity for them to return to a place that they were before they came here to Mount Juliet and uh, we're so very, very happy that they're celebrating Jeff's presence and Denise. And I understand they had a marvelous ministry there And uh, They were really excited and looking forward to seeing their dear friends, so we celebrate that with them. I'm so happy that they have that experience and so happy that we have this opportunity to be together as well. (coughs) I'm going to be reading today from John's first epistle, the fourth chapter, and I'm going to be starting in verse number seven. Dear friends, Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God. But if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. And God has given us the spirit of proof that we live with him and he in us. Furthermore... We have seen with our own eyes and now testify that the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. And who all who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them. And they live in God. We know how much God loves us and we have put our trust in his love. God is love. And all who love live in God and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid of the day of judgment, but we can see him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Since love has no fear, because perfect love expels all fear. If we're afraid, it's for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because... He loved us first. If someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? And he has given us this command. Those who love God must also love their fellow believers. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy word. It was 95 years ago, 1928. A wonderful little book was published and it quickly became very popular. Its title, If I Had Only One Sermon to Preach. Evidently, 20 pastors, well-known pastors, great speakers from across the country were asked to address this question. If you had this one more sermon that you could share, what would you want to tell the world? Something that's so profoundly important to you and your faith that you think everyone should be able to hear. Well, needless to say, there were a variety of perspectives that were represented in that book. And I've often wondered, had I been given that chance to add a chapter, what would I say? But more to the point, this morning, let me turn that question and address it to you. If you had an opportunity to share a message, perhaps to write a chapter in a book, maybe to speak a sermon, if you had an opportunity to share with someone something very significant that you believe stands at the center of your faith, something that's very important for all the world to hear, what would you share? Well, perhaps by the grace of God, by the time all is said and done today, We'll come to some point of agreement about just what that message might be. Will you pray with me? O oh, gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in Thy sight. We pray, O oh, Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. If I had only one sermon to preach. In the interest of self and full disclosure, I have to make a confession. The foundation for what I'm going to say today, I came to 50 years ago. 50 years ago, in 1973. I was toward the end of seminary. Just about everything was completed. Final exams were finished in that third year. All the papers were turned in, work assignments in the different churches or wherever, whatever setting we were serving in was all complete. There was only one more thing we had to do. One thing standing between me and graduation. The dreaded oral exam. I imagine many of you have probably had that experience. That oral exam where you walk into the room and and it's filled with these professors. In our particular case, there was one professor representing each different division in the curriculum. And we would sit down and, and we would have a conversation. Now, the truth of the matter is, this wasn't a time for regurgitating facts. We've been doing that for the last three years. This was a time to try to assimilate all that we had been learning. And so these professors were sitting there from their variety of perspectives and they were raising questions that I was supposed to answer. Questions that were related to the sake of our ministry. What did we think was foundationally important? This was a kind of a preparation for when we walked out of those doors with a degree in our hand ready to save the world that we might be ready. Well it was going pretty well and I felt fairly comfortable after we got started and before I knew it, two hours had passed and now it was just about time to be done. And the, the professor who was chairing this experience looked at me and said, okay John, we're about done. You can relax. You've done fine. But there's one more question we have. One more. We'd like for you to choose one verse out of the Bible that describes for you your understanding of ministry. (laughs) I thought about that. You know, there's 66 books in the Bible. There's 1,138 chapters in the Bible. There's 31,102 verses in the Bible, and I got to choose one that was going to represent my understanding of ministry, and more than that, how I felt the message from God needed to go into all the world. Well, I thought, okay, I got it. John 3.16, now that'll preach. Preach. Believe me, that'll preach. You remember? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will never perish, but will have life everlasting. That's good. That'll get the job done. But I didn't choose it. (laughs) I thought some more. And I finally came up with a verse with just three words. You can guess what they were, can't you? God is love. That represented for me not only the task of ministry, but more to the point. It helped me to understand, and I believed it would help all people to understand the reality, the presence, and the power of God himself as he revealed himself to the world through Jesus. For what more is Jesus And love. So that was my choice. God is love. And you know, I have to be honest with you. In the 50 years since that took place, that foundational conviction has never changed for me. That's always been what it's been about. In the life of the church, in the life of our personal faith, that expression that God is love. So, let's see if we can better understand, unpack those three beautiful words in terms that'll make a lot of sense for us and hopefully be helpful to us even today. Now, I had a professor of theology. In fact, he was in that little oral exam that we had who taught us that before you write a sermon, the first thing you need to do is think about the theological foundation. Just take three, four, maybe five lines, and try to describe theologically what you think the essence of the message that you're going to be sharing should be about. Then, after you do that, then get on with telling the story. So, I did that. In fact, I've been doing that for a long time. And this is what I came up with. This is, I wrote this down so I'd get it straight. I really believe that all of life is a derivative of these three words. God is love. All of creation has its genesis in this spiritual foundation. I believe divine love is the interpretive key to everything. It's not just a theological posit. No, love is the essence of life in its finest moment, and it's the foundation for all truth. This is the message revealing itself as we see the evolution of humanity's understanding of God unfolding through the pages of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation and beyond. Yes, and beyond. Because as our brothers and sisters in the United Church of Christ like to say, God is still speaking. Do you believe that? I believe that. Our basic story is found in Genesis through Revelation but that story continues to grow on the basis of human experience. Richard Rohr, a couple of weeks ago, in one of his daily meditations, said something that I thought was profoundly significant. Shared it with our Immerse group this, this week. See if you don't agree and how important it is. He said very simply, As we read the Bible, God does not change as much as has our knowledge of God evolved. God has not changed as much as has our knowledge of God evolved. In other words, God is still speaking. This message that we embrace and that we love continues to grow in our understanding and helps us develop the way we look at the world and the way we live in this world. That's a profound conviction, and I think Roar is absolutely right. So, Having said that now, let's think if we might about what these three words, God is love, might mean to us given the world in which we are living today. Well, first of all, I think we can say (coughs) with some assurance that the elder, who is the writer, we're not sure, I think Jeff mentioned this, but we're not really sure who wrote these epistles. Someone who was close to John, most probably. But at any rate, he's simply referred to as the elder. The elder was saying to us, suggesting to us, in this particular epistle, in fact, in all three epistles, as well as in the Gospel of John, the same message is coming over and over and over. Basically, when we love, we embrace the essence of of life you hear that when we love we embrace the essence of life this is a statement of faith the writer is saying that the essence of life and truth are bound up in a relationship with god defined by god's love and here's the thing the reason why we say this is the essence of life this love is bound up in all of creation In every human being, as we are created, God has created within us, within our hearts, within our souls, the gift of love. Everybody, everybody has it. That's why it's the essence of life, the truth, the foundation of who we are in terms of our relationship with the God who created us and his son who loves us. Everybody, every one of you is loved by God and has that love directly from God embedded deep within your very person. Do you believe that? (coughs) I wonder if you recognize the name Elton Trueblood. Elton Trueblood was a Quaker, he has passed now. He was a Quaker and I had so much appreciation for him and I had a wonderful opportunity to get to meet him and know him a little bit uh, back when I was coming out of school I was out for a couple of years and was serving on the staff of a church in Haddonfield, New Jersey. Let's hear it for New Jersey. Yes. Haddonfield, New Jersey, right across the river from Philadelphia. Now, Haddonfield, New Jersey happened to be settled by Quakers, as was Philadelphia. In fact, there's a large Quaker presence to this very day in that area of the country. So... We understood that we had this, uh, this foundation in Haddonfield that grew out of Quakerism and our Council of Churches, of which I was a part at the time, decided that it would be wonderful to celebrate that foundation. And so it was that I was given the assignment of contacting Elton Trueblood, who was a prolific author, a Quaker, um, and in fact one who was very familiar with a little school outside of Indianapolis called Earlham College. And he would be there oftentimes teaching in his day. But beyond that, he was one of these minds that really belonged to the world. He was always in demand. And we were fortunate to have him come. So the big day arrived, and, and Elton Trueblood was, was with us. And I got to host him since I had invited him. And we spent some time together. Now, it's drawing close to time for this big celebration, this community event to happen. And Dr. Trueblood wanted to find a quiet spot so we simply turned to the friends meeting what more quiet spot could there be this celebration was going to take place outside the meeting and it was all set up and and ready to go but he just wanted a little quiet time so I took him inside the meeting and and uh, I kind of sat at a distance but he encouraged me to to simply come over and to be by him and he was quiet for a little while. You're aware that that's what happens in a Quaker meeting. It's a gathering where people simply sit quietly, ponder, think, pray. In this case, he was preparing himself. And when he felt felt ready, he he turned to me and we had more conversation. And I had an opportunity to ask him a couple of questions. And one of the questions I asked him was, Dr. Trueblood, what for you is one of the most important principles of Quakerism that you embrace, maybe above all the others. And he said, John, that's an easy one. He said, for Quakers, there's a very simple concept we have. And I have shared this before. Three simple words. That of God. Do you remember hearing that? The Quakers believe there is that of God in every human being. So what do you mean by that of God, I asked him. He said very simply, it means that we have all been created by God and that God has placed love in each and every human being. That's part of the miracle of his creation. You are loved by God and you are given the gift of that love to share with other people. That stands at the heart of Quakerism. And he said, that's why we believe so strongly in the concept of peace. We dare not do anything to harm another human being. Because if we do, we are doing harm to God himself. We dare not hurt another person physically, emotionally, mentally, or spiritually. We honor that of God which is in every person And in that way, we experience and we share the love of God with the world. Wow, that was a lot better than his lecture, to tell you the truth. (laughs) That kind of captured it all for me. And I've never ever forgotten that experience. That's what we mean when we talk about love being an essence of a human being. John, the writer, the elder, said when we embrace love, we embrace the essence of life. Number one. Number two, he's also suggesting when we embrace love, we see the face of God. Have you heard that? It's a beautiful metaphor. Listen to the way it's described by the writer. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God. But if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. No one has ever seen God. But if we look into the face of another human being, we are looking into the face of God because God has placed his love in that human being. Think of the respect we can hold for one another as we understand by looking into the eyes of another person that, metaphorically speaking, we are looking into the face of God. We respect that person. We love that person. We strive as Jesus taught us to do everything we can to meet the needs of that person. When we do that, we're looking into the face of God. You remember an old play called Les Miserables? Yeah, you remember Jean Valjean? the Poor guy that was sent away for 18 years to prison because he stole a loaf of bread in order to feed his sister's hungry child. Remember, he was finally released, and what happened? Right after he was finally released, after 18 years in prison, he got himself in trouble again, and he was about to go back, but a bishop intervened, remember? And because of that bishop's intervention and the bishop's ability to to help Jean Valjean, to help him turn his life around, this man promised that he would never again do anything to harm another human being. He realized through this perspective and this help from the bishop, and as he turned his life around, that it was now his responsibility to be caring for all the people all around him in ways that would help to change their lives. While well, the play unfolds, and that's kind of what's happening for, for the, this central play, player in the midst of the play, <coughs> excuse me, but it comes toward the end. And of course, it's a musical in part. And one of the final songs that's sung is sung by Jean Valjean, remember? And these were the words in part. Take my love, for love is everlasting. And remember the truth that once was spoken. To love another person is to see the face of God. Yeah, Valjean discovered what John wrote about and what Jesus gave himself to prove Love is the essence of life, and when we take that seriously and respect its reality in everybody around us, well somehow, some way, we miraculously see the face of God. And that brings me to the third point. I've always been accused of having three points in a poem in my sermons. So this is number three, and the poem's coming. Number three, to love is to dispel our fears. To love is to dispel our fears. God is love, the epistle says, and all who live in love live in God and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face with confidence because we know, like Jesus, is here in the world. Such love has no fear, because perfect love expels fear." Does that mean that if we are loving people, that we're not going to literally have any fear in our lives? No, that's that's not really what it means. What it means is, if we are loving people, we will have the courage to overcome our fears and do what God would have us do. That's the gist of what the writer is saying. We're still gonna have those moments in life when we're frightened, no doubt about it. I mean, we are living in a fractured world. How do we possibly make it from day to day in this life without occasionally having a fear? I mean, something's broken somewhere. The division is overwhelming. The hatred that we hear spewed everywhere we turn is just revolting. How can we not be frightened in this day in which we live? And it's not just here in this country, it's all over the world. What's happening? The wheels are coming off. I don't know about you, but I am frightened. Do you know what? So was Jesus. Remember the experience in Gethsemane, the night in which he was betrayed. He was by himself and we get a picture of how he was struggling and how he was frightened. Remember the Gospel writers paint that picture that he's sweating, literally sweating droplets of blood. He's broken. He knows what's going to be happening. He's soon going to be turned against by his own people. He's going to be arrested. He knows before another day passes, he's going to go to a cross and he's going to lose his life. And he pleads. He pleads with God, oh God, if you will, take this cup from me. He obviously was frightened. But you remember the rest of the sentence. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. He somehow made his way through that moment when it would have been so easy to turn aside. He had that opportunity when he was with Pilate. Remember, Pilate just wanted him to say the right words, the magic words, and he was free, but he didn't. He knew why he was here, and though he was frightened, he had the strength to see himself through. And I believe that that's the same ability that we all have when we are facing frightening times. That somehow, because we know that God is in us, that God lives with us, that God grants us courage and strength, that God loves us, that we can see our way through. Yeah, it may be tough, but we can, as the writer says, we can dispel the fear. Thank God for that ability to keep on keeping on. How many of you enjoy a television program on PBS called The Midwife? Does anybody besides Paul and me watch that? <laughs> okay. Oh, it's one of our favorite shows. And we were watching the 12th season. Now, we can't wait for the 13th season to come out. It's supposed to come out pretty soon for all the fans. But we were watching it the other night. And and in this this show, if you're not familiar with it, it's a a group of nuns and a group of midwives who are living outside in a very poor town outside of London. And they they help families in facing all kinds of problems, but mainly the midwives are, you know, they're doing what midwives do, they're delivering babies. But there's always all kinds of problems that that surround those deliveries and, and, and affect the lives of the people that are involved in the story. And the main characters themselves have their own problems. But on this particular show that we were watching uh, a couple of, uh, a few nights ago, th- it came on at the end, you know, if, and if you're familiar with the show, you know that at the very end there's a voiceover, and this voiceover always has a, a statement that kind of captures what the show was about, the essence of the message of that particular episode, just in a few lines. So we were listening the other day, and, and I said to Paula, wait a minute, did you hear that? And she Wasn't sure what I was talking about, but I said, did you hear that? And I stopped it, because it was right near the end, and I I turned it back, and, and I listened to it again. And I thought, that's remarkable. Listen to what it said. The heart will always find its place. Some call it home. Some call it friendship. If we're lucky, We can call it love. And love is a process of lifelong learning. A lesson in where we belong and what defines us. An education in the things that we can never measure. A page forever fresh and waiting to be turned. What a beautiful description of all that we have been talking about. The gift of love. The essence of life to love is to see the face of god and to love is to somehow expel our fears well i've probably said enough maybe too much so may i close with one more story dt niles anybody recognize that name a famous methodist pastor he was from sri lanka at the time when he was pastoring, I think it was called Ceylon, did I say that right? C-E-Y-L-O-N? A little country right off the southeastern tip of India. And D.T. And Niles was not only a pastor, but he was a theologian and he was an evangelist. And people loved him wherever he would go. And he tells the story about being invited to, to come to a gathering of, of scholars that simply had St- they, they, they had a responsibility. They were going to be meeting for a week, and their challenge was to create a statement of faith that, uh, that all people would be able to buy into. Now, these were learned people. They were fully understanding what their theologies were about, and they were given this task, so you think that wouldn't be too terribly difficult, but there you'd be wrong, because the week started, the first couple of days were fine. Everybody was cordial. They were in this large assembly hall and people were taking turns speaking, sharing their perspectives. The moderator was recognizing, oh, it was just going just, just fine. But all of a sudden on the third day, the rubber started to hit the road and people started to have disagreements. And, and Niles said that before anybody knew what was happening, it was out of control. I mean, people were getting angry with one another. It was total chaos in this meeting. And they were totally losing the whole point of it. So this went on on the third day and the fourth day, day according to Niles, and about that time, there was a little guy, a young guy, that was somehow in those meetings. He wasn't invited, he was not a scholar, he was was not one of great conviction related to religion, uh, or I should say great education, but he was interested to hear what was going to happen. And so after four days of this, as he's watching it all unfold, he was very troubled and he stood up in the back of the room and he started waving his arm, trying to get the moderator's attention, Niles said. Well, finally the moderator recognized him and he said, young man, do you have something you want to say? And he said, yes, sir, I do. He said, well, he said, I believe that there are just four principles, four simple principles in a statement of faith. Well, there was kind of a little chuckling going around at this point. I mean, who'd this young guy think he was? So Niall said the convener very sarcastically said to the young man, Okay, if that's the case, why don't you just come on up here and tell us all about it? He thought the sarcasm would quiet the young man and put him back in his seat. Little did he realize that before he could turn around, the young man was making his way out of the row where he was sitting, walking down the long aisle, up to the front of the assembly hall, up the stairs and behind the pulpit. And he looked and he said, thank you to the moderator. And he looked out at the gathered scholars. And he said, I believe there are four basic principles. He said, I believe God created us. I believe God loves us. I believe God wants us to love each other. And I believe that when we die, we go to God. And that was it. He was done. He said thank you. He turned right, back down the stairs, down the aisle, and took a seat in the back. There was a stunned silence, Niles said, for a few moments. And then, One person spoke, and then another, and then another, and before you know it, it was chaos all over again, as if the young man hadn't said a single word. Well, move forward now to the end of the week. This convocation, this gathering of learned people has been completed, and it's time to make a statement You see, they had made public before this even started what was going to happen, and they promised that at the end of the gathering they were going to share this statement with the world. So the media was present. There were cameras ready to roll, and there were microphones, and everybody, all all of the scholars, Niles included, agreed that they were going to go out together so that they could share their convictions as best as they could and symbolize that they were all together behind this. And so they went out and the moderator went to the bank of the microphones and and he looked out at the people and he said, well, we've had quite a week. He said there were times when it was chaotic. There were times when we were angry with each other. Our voices were raised. We debated heavily. But he said after all has been said and done, we have a statement of faith that we are ready to share with the world. And he said we have come to the conviction that there are four basic (laughs) principles. We believe out of his love God created us. We believe God loves us. We believe that when we die we go to God. We believe God wants us to love each other. My friends, it can't get more profound yet more simple than that when we understand and take seriously what the elder has been writing about, this gift of love that comes to us first from God and which we in turn then share with each other, when we take that gift seriously, amazing things are going to happen. We're going to experience the essence of life. We're going to look into the face of God and our fears will be dispelled. By the grace of God, how fortunate we are, how blessed we have been, by three simple words God is love. <coughs> Amen.